Well, welcome to the village. We are in a brand new series called Hitchhiker's Guide to the Temple. And we will be covering um, the Psalms of Ascent, which are 120 to 134. Um, and the Psalms of Ascent have a kind of a varied history, and they they kind of span maybe even a thousand years. We're not even sure. But the idea that are in these Psalms are a couple. Number one is that in Israel, if you live there for very long, you realize that you ascend all the time and descend because it's a very hilly and mountainous place. And so there's a lot of climbing and going up and down. Um, but And that kind of is metaphorical and for Israel's spiritual journey and for their actual journey. So Israel is the community in the Old Testament, and the Old Testament is about Israel's relationship with God. And Israel starts out in Egypt, and they, in the low area of Egypt, ascend to the Promised Land. So there's this idea that in Israel's history, they're always ascending and descending. Um, They're either heading up towards God or going down away from Him. So these psalms, um, most likely were often sung in the three major festivals as people went up to Jerusalem. And as you can see, we have a couple chairs here and a cello and a guitar. Um, most of you, some of you know Andrew. Wave, Andrew. Um, Andrew and I have been talking, and Andrew has actually put music to the Psalms of Ascent, or many of them, and he sings them in Hebrew and he sings them in English. And so we were going to do a series on the Psalms, but we decided, instead of Eric's favorite Psalms that he wants to preach on, we decided God was moving us towards preaching on these Psalms of Ascent. And the reason that I really want to do this, other than it's really cool to hear Andrew sing them, is that in these Psalms, there is sort of this experience of healing. That happens. Um, there's an ex- and it kind of takes you through sort of the pain of being absent from God and then the journey towards being in God's presence. And I thought it fit very well in what we've been talking about this year as we started out talking about healing the city one person at a time. How do we do that? By blessing people, by seeing them, knowing them, and calling them out. Those kinds of themes that have thrust us, you know, kind of been the thrust of our community really sort of culminate in these um, Psalms of Ascent. And so what's going to happen tonight, we're going to do things just slightly differently. Um, I'm going to actually hand out the offering right now. Um, and usually we hand out the offering and do communion and all that as a response to God's Word. But today, because of the way we're doing things, um, we're going to hand out the offering first. So if you're visiting with us, we're happy to have you. You don't need to give anything. Um, if the last person who grabs the basket would just stick it underneath their chair, somebody will uh, pass that to the next person. Somebody will uh, come pick it up um, and take care of that. The other thing that we do in response to God's word is take communion. We come up, we break the bread, God's body, and we dip it in the juice, the blood of Christ poured out for us. And we remember what Jesus has done as a response to hearing God's word and being thankful. Tonight, I want you to do it slightly differently. Because as soon as the sermon is done, Andrew and Susan are going to come up 
and they're going to sing for us three songs of ascent. They're going to sing Psalm 120, which Rod is going to speak on. They're going to sing 121 and 133. The lyrics will be up here. So those of you who have heard them online and want to sing along, feel free to sing along. But my encouragement, as I've listened to these songs, is for you to let Andrew and Susan sing over you. To allow the words to kind of come over you, allow the Spirit of God to come over you, and to experience the healing. To just close your eyes and enjoy hearing the Psalms in their original language and then hearing them in English. Breathe deeply and just allow God to speak to your heart where you're at as Andrew and Susan play. And then after they're done, the meditation music will come on and then you'll be able to come up and take communion and then we'll finish um, the service with the song and then we'll eat together. So that's how this is all going to happen tonight. Um, so, Rod's going to come up and begin the, the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Temple. Um, and we're going to take a journey from far away into God's presence and kind of work that out as a, a way of God healing our hearts and our souls. <clears throat> Let's take a moment and go to God in prayer again. Father in heaven, people gathered here uh, need to hear from you. Um, would you speak to them? Would you speak to the depths of who they are? Would you um, let them know of your great love for them? Would you help them to shut out any voice but yours? any voice including mine, any voice that would distract them, anything that would keep them from hearing you. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 120 um, is the first psalm in the Psalm of Ascent. And uh, let me read it for you. It says, I call on the Lord in my distress, and he answers me. Save me, Lord, from lying lips and from deceitful tongues. What will he do to you, and what more besides you, deceitful tongue? He will punish you with a warrior's sharp arrows, with burning coals of the broom bush. Woe to me that I dwell in Meshech, that I live among the tents of Kedar. Too long have I lived among those who hate peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. It's interesting that probably David, we don't know for sure who wrote this song, but probably David writes this psalm and he and he calls on God in distress. He cries out, um, the longer I live, the more I realize the laments of this world, the, the sadness, the sorrow, the struggle, the pain, all the stuff of life that's, that burdens us, and, and we get distressed, and we get burned out, and, and we hurt, and we cry out. And, and so the writer starts this psalm with, uh, I'm in distress. I don't have it together. I, I don't have what it takes. I, I, I can't do it. I... I'm a mess out here. Save me, Lord. 
save me, Lord. It's an appeal that goes to God and God alone, that God himself can save us and help us and, <clears throat> and that he can protect us. So that cry comes out. And the beautiful thing is that God does hear him. God hears David. He, he hears us wherever we're at. It doesn't matter where you're at. It doesn't matter where you are in life. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter whether you're close to God, far away from God. When you cry out to him, when you call out to him, he hears you. The thing that has the writer just all messed up is lying. Lies and deceit. If you hang around the village for any length of time at all, you will know that that's all we ever talk about. What lies are you believing? Right? Somebody goes off the rails, what lies are you believing? Somebody's having trouble, what lies are you believing? Somebody's putting themselves down, what lies are you believing? What are the lies that you believe? What's the, what's the, the, the thing that's driving this uh, rage that you might have, this anger, this frustration, the hurt, the, what's going on? thing about lies is that they come from Satan. They come from the evil one. They come from the dark side. And the thing about lies is that they always sound believable. They always sound true. Um, I've mentioned before some of the lies that, that I just grew up believing, that I just thought were true. I just assumed that because it seemed right, that therefore it was right. Um, one of the one of the lies that I heard was when my father told me on my deathbed, on his deathbed, not my deathbed, thank goodness, or maybe who knows, um, on his deathbed when when Dad told me. Uh, you need to take care of your mother and your sisters and your brother because I'm dying and, and you have to take care of everything. And, and I was 16 years old and I was horrified and terrified and at the same time it sounded like such a cool manly thing. Dad handing me this powerful thing to do uh, that I was completely incapable of doing. I, I couldn't take care of mom and I couldn't take care of my sisters. I couldn't take care of my brother. I didn't have that power. I didn't have that strength. I didn't have that ability. No 16-year-old kid would ever have that kind of ability. But that got ingrained into my head. That got ingrained into who I was. That became a driving force. I, I have to sacrifice the things that I want because I have to take care of other people. I have to do this other thing. I, I don't get to go off to, to college like my older sister had gone to college in Iowa because... I have to stay home and take care of mom. I, I can't go on to seminary and become a pastor because I have to take care of mom. I have to do these things. I have to stay home. I have to, I have to do that. That, that lie got ingrained into me. Another lie that, that happened after my dad died, um, was that I went back to high school my, my junior year and, and, uh, and one of, uh, I was telling my friend this, uh, amazing story of how my dad had um, 
been very, very sick, was in the hospital just before he died. The doctor had said to me, you should pray that your dad goes into a coma so that he won't suffer, um, so that he will die peacefully. And I went home and I prayed that prayer. And the next day, my dad went into a coma. And two days later, he died. And I just so peacefully. And I, I just thought it was such an amazing answer to prayer. And my friend heard me tell the story. And he said, too bad you didn't pray that your dad would be healed. Then he'd be here now. And that lie rooted deep inside me. And I started thinking that I kill things. And then some churches that I helped die, <laughs> closed down, um, strengthened that lie. And, and a business that I ran uh, went bankrupt and, and it strengthened that lie. And, and the, the people all around me, I hear that lie, that continuous lie of you kill things. I helped close down several churches and, and some people jokingly said, Rod, you're the, the Dr. Kevorkian of the church growth movement. I would try to laugh. But inside, I believed it. I believed I killed things. I was responsible. Those are lies. They're lies from the pit of hell. They're lies from Satan himself. Satan, according to Scripture, John 8, 44, says this about Satan. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. When we believe lies, we believe what Satan is saying. Now, don't get me wrong. Satan is incredibly cunning. He's incredibly smart. He's incredibly wise. Uh, Eric referred to him in our previous sermon series as, as, rab, as a rabbi. He's, he is that. He's a teacher of lies. What comes out of him is always a lie. They sound believable. It sounds believable. It sounds believable to me that I killed my dad. It sounded believable. And you can say, well, Rod, that's just stupid. But in that moment, I chose to believe it. I chose to accept that that was probably true. If I had just done better, if I had had more faith, if I had believed better. The thing about Satan's lies is they contain partial truth. <laughs> that's what makes them so believable, right? When Jesus is tempted by Satan, Satan comes and tells him, part of the truth. He says, you can throw yourself down off of this, this temple because God will take care of you. He'll provide for you. Well, that's true. God will take care of you, right? The very first lie, the original lie that Satan came and told Adam and Eve was, eh, you know, this, this fruit of this tree, did, did God really say that that's not going to work for you? No. Uh, he just takes part of the truth and perverts it a little bit. He just turns it a little bit, and then it becomes a vicious lie. So the lies you believe are going to sound real. They're going to sound truthful. And we need this community around us. We need people who recognize the lies for what they are. We need people who stand with us and say, that just doesn't sound right. That, that isn't how I experience you. I'm... 
it's, it's so hard for us to hear the truth unless we throw ourselves before God and say, who am I really? Who am I really? The other, the other thing about lies is they, they penetrate. The, this passage talks about the lies and the way that the lies are attacked, but it talks about lies penetrating like sharp arrows. There are lies that just are custom designed for you. They really are. Satan is brilliant. He custom designs the lie so that it will sound true to you, so that it will seem right. One of the other descriptors of Satan is that uh, he masquerades as light. It sounds like he's saying the right thing, the good thing. And we have to be able to burn that, uh, uh, understand that, that, um, that the lie is going to sound truthful. It's going to sound good. Some lies, when people tell us the lie, they just go right to our heart and kill us. Right? They just kill our heart. The lie of, you'll never amount to anything. One of the lies I heard that went deep into my heart early on was, he just stares out the window all day, he's lazy and doesn't get his schoolwork done. It's like an arrow. When I heard that, I thought, wow, I didn't know I was that way. I mean, I liked school, I liked reading, I liked learning, I... I was ADD, so I was a mess for the teacher to deal with, right? So I was staring out the window all the time, and I was reading the history book when everybody else was looking at the English book, but hey, you know, I liked it. And I had read the entire history book before anyone else, I mean, usually the night I got the history book, I took it home, read it from cover to cover, and was really impressed with it, and knew that stuff now, right? But what was the lie, the penetrating lie? The lie said to me, you don't have, you don't pay attention, you're lazy. To this day, <laughs> you want to kill me? Rod, you're, you're kind of lazy, you just, you just sit around, you, you don't do anything. It's like an arrow, it's like a stab in the heart. And then I have to fight for the truth. The lies also are like the broom bush. The passage mentions the broom bush. It's a, it's a slow burning. It's a, it's a coal. Uh, it, it's what they make a charcoal for that, that burns for a long, 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 long time. It's a constant burning, a constant um, long-term slow burn. So you have this this other image of the lies that we believe that that they're ingrained in us and then we just keep accepting them and keep accepting them and keep living with them. In the psalm, it's fascinating to me that the lies that David hears while he's out there far away from the temple those lies that he hears out there are done away with, 
are attacked by the very method in which um, they're received. That God takes the deceitful tongue, the liar's tongue, the lies themselves, and he punishes the liar. He punishes the liar with an arrow that pierces it, that pierces the lie with the truth and explodes the lie. The joy, and you cannot imagine a greater joy for me, when Patty Seepin turned to me one day and said, Rod, you don't have to help everybody. That's Jesus' job. God's not making you do this. You're free to just be you. It was a beautiful day when Eric said to me, Rod, you don't kill things. You bring life. You brought life to me. You bring life to people in the village. It's like an arrow that just blows up the lie, that just destroys it, that just kills the lie. And that's what God does. And we need to invite him to, to come after our lies with a warrior's sharp arrow. And then to throw it away, to throw it where it burns away, where it, where the heat is so great that it destroys it. But it's really hard, isn't it? The writer is talking about Meshach and Kedar. That means he's so far away from the temple. He's so far away from the place where the presence of God is. The temple is huge for the Israelites. It is where God is. Jerusalem is the holy city. It's the city they look up to. They're rising towards it. They're coming towards it. But for, for the writer, it is so far away. Meshach is probably somewhere in Turkey. You can't see Jerusalem from there. Kedar is way on the south. It, it's so far away, you can't see Jerusalem from there. You can't see and feel and touch and taste the presence of God because you're so far away. And that's where the lies sound truthful. That's where the lies take root. That's where the hatred of who you are and what you are, Satan's hatred for you, that's where... It sounds real, it sounds true, it sounds like it might be. The writer of the psalm is walking where the enemy is. All day, every day. All day, every day. All day, every day, you're hearing the same lies, the same untrue statements. And it's a war, a battle. The writer says, too long have I lived among them. Too long have I lived among them. When he says, I dwell in Meshach, and when I live among the tents of Kedar, what he's really saying is, I'm a sojourner. When I first met Eric, 
he was kind of doing this group called Sojourners, and, and I always thought that was a cool word. So we named the church the village because, I don't know why. But anyway, um, we switched from Sojourners. Sojourners is a great name. Sojourners means you're not really there. It's not really your world. It's not really where you belong. The invitation to us is you're a sojourner. You're just wandering among the tents, but you're headed in a direction. You're headed towards Jerusalem. You're headed towards the temple. You're on your way. Look up. See it. Even though it's in a haze or the miles are so far, you can't imagine getting there. Look up. Start walking towards it. You're a sojourner. You're a, a traveler. This isn't your home. One of the things that I loved growing up was the recognition that I heard from the earliest days that we are sojourners in this world. This isn't where we live. This isn't the final place. This isn't all there is. We're just camping out. We're just making our way until we get to that beautiful place that God's preparing for us when he calls us to himself. We're sojourners. We're travelers. The place of lies, the tents where they're seeking to kill you with lies, the lies that destroy who you are, that place isn't your permanent home. Look up. The writer complains a little bit. He says, too long have I lived among those who hate peace. I've, this has been a long time, God. I've heard these lies over and over again. They destroy me, they kill me, they hurt me. Then he says, I'm for peace. They are for war, but I'm for peace. That word peace is a beautiful word. Because we think peace, it just means a cessation of war, right? That's kind of what we think of. Uh, if we're having a battle with someone, an argument, a fight, when it stops, well, there's peace. Peace and quiet. Kind of the parent's dream, right? Peace and quiet. If I could just have peace. But the word that's used in the psalm is, is for peace is, is the word shalom. And shalom is far bigger than just peace. It's far bigger than just a cessation of, of trouble and, and pain. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a beautiful, uh, wholeness that we're being invited into. The writer says, I'm, I'm for wholeness for everyone. Cornelius Plantinga in his book, Not the Way It's Supposed to Be, A Breviary of Sin, he writes this, The webbing together of God, humans, and all creation in justice, fulfillment, and delight 
is what the Hebrew prophets call shalom. We call it peace, but it means far more than mere peace of mind or a ceasefire between enemies. In the Bible, shalom means universal flourishing, wholeness, and delight. A rich state of affairs in which natural needs are satisfied and natural gifts fruitfully employed. A state of affairs that inspires joyful wonder as its creator and savior opens doors and welcomes the creatures in whom he delights. Shalom, in other words, is the way things ought to be. When we live in this place, we can be for peace. We can be for the way things ought to be. Recognizing that all around us there's war, all around us there's lies, all around us there's destruction, but that's not our call. Our call is to bring about and be about making things the way they're supposed to be. Let's pray. Father, help us to take shalom to speak the truth, to cry out, to listen, to look up, to hope, to see the city on a hill far away, to know your presence here now around us, filling this place. Help us not hear the lies. Kill them for us. Destroy them for us. Help us to believe the truth of your love. In Jesus' name, amen. So before Sue and I play a few songs, I'm going to talk a little bit about what the songs of Ascent mean to me or how God drew me to them in order to kind of set me free of a few lies and call me back to kind of the inner courts of his heart. Um, Ever since I was a little kid, there are two things that I loved, and those music and Israel. Um, I love to sing to God. I would play on the piano and on the guitar. And I just sing from my heart in the way you do, you can when you're a kid before you're too self-conscious and aware or worried about what's right and what's wrong or what people think. And I would sometimes sit at the piano or with my guitar and just sing to God for hours. Um, and I also love the story of Israel. I love the stories in the Bible. Like Eric said, Israel's always ascending or descending, ascending to God, descending away from God. And I could see that story in my own life of being drawn to him in times of turning away, but there's always his great patience and his love and his mercy to welcome me back. Um, And so I'm going to sing tonight in Hebrew. Uh, I lived five years in Israel, and so I learned Hebrew. 
And uh, it was a really precious time in my life because I was able to spend time kind of with the, the people that I'd read about all those years in the Bible and kind of get to know them up close and personal and see all the things that they were going through. And I think it was there I, I could see hear the songs of ascent that they would sing during the festivals that they still celebrate today, Passover and Shavuot and Sukkot, going up and singing these songs. Um, and so when I read them, I, I have three narratives in my mind. Um, that story, the pilgrim's narrative, from a place of exile and, and estrangement far away in a foreign land, all the way up to Jerusalem, to the embrace of the people of God in the presence of God and to praise and worship God in the house of God. Um, and I always hear the story of Israel as the journey through history as well um, and the lies and the violence that the enemy has subjected to them and tried to pummel them with. Um, and then my own story or your story. Um, and I really got into the Songs of Ascent at a very low time in my life. Uh, like Rod was talking about, that t a time of despair when I felt very far away. I felt like I was in a hostile land. Um, I was in a marriage that was ending. Um, and well before it ended, it was, there was a slow and a very painful tearing apart of what was once one. And during this time, I, the enemy was really pummeling me with lies of rejection um, and abandonment. And I felt very much alone. Uh, I felt like I was in a place where no one knew me, no one saw me, and nobody was for me. And after a while, I actually, I, it seems strange to say now, but I started to think that there was maybe something deep in me that was just wrong or that was just kind of putrid to other people. And there was a reason it was I was just deeply flawed. And then if anybody got to really see me, they would reject me and wouldn't want to know me. And this was the, I think the enemy was just really pummeling me with lies at this time. And God drew me to the songs of ascent. Uh, I had a little room in my house I would go to at night, and I started to read them in Hebrew. And reading in Hebrew, I have to read very slowly and kind of go over every word, but it was great because I could actually uh, sit and meditate on every single word. And I could read this story of a pilgrim starting out in a foreign land, far from God, hungry and thirsty for God, very much alone, and follow his journey all the way to Jerusalem. And the different psalms and the songs of ascent, some of which we'll cover, they kind of they give expression to different stages of that journey. Um, so for me, I could I could hear God calling me like the pilgrim to come into the inner courts of his heart and draw near to him. There's a Psalm 42 which gives expression to kind of that hunger and thirst, which actually is talking about the way the pilgrim longs to go to Jerusalem. And it's the, uh, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs after you. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. And the pilgrim says, when shall I come and appear before you? He's talking about when can I come up to Jerusalem? I've been away for so long. He says, day and night my tears have been my food because they say to me all day, where is your God? And in Hebrew, that statement, it really drips with disdain. In Hebrew, it's, Ayya Elohecha. Um, where is your God? Ayya Elohecha. And it's something that I heard every day in my ears. And we all hear it. It's the kind of lie that the, ser the serpent told Eve in the garden. Where is your God? Your God's not near. Your God's abandoned you. You're in a place far away because God's rejected you. And that lie, Ayya Elohecha. If you come, if you seek after God, he's just going to hurt you because he knows all the things that you've done and he'll reject you. If you seek after God, you'll go look for him and you'll wait, which is something he told me all the time. You'll wait and you'll be lonely. He won't show up because he's done with you. Ayya Elohecha. And so that's the lie that begins with the pilgrim's journey. 
you finally come to a place where you're gonna, you reject the lie. Like Rod was reading, the pilgrim says, I'm sick of these lies. And he turns to the lies and he says, do you know what's coming for you? Do you know what will be done to you? Sharp arrows of the warrior's bow and burning coals of the broom tree. Which is that point at which we all kind of turn and we say, I'm, not, I'm sick of the enemy's lies. And then we set our faces to Jerusalem. We're like the prodigal son when he's in the pig, pig pen. And he finally says, he came to his senses and he's like, I'm sick of crawling around in the mud with pigs. I'm going back to my father's house, even if it means being a slave. And I'm sure the serpent was there to say, Ayya Elohecha. Your dad doesn't want anything to do with you. You're not his son anymore. And at least then he says, well, I'd rather be a slave than not, than stay here in the mud. And so that was it for me, was to just crying out to God. And he was very kind to me to give me melodies for these songs, which was in a way kind of restoring my two loves, Israel and music. Um, so they've been a blessing to me, and I hope they are to you as well.